0: Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson as always I am your good friend and host Steve Robertson here on the magnificent Monday edition of the yard I'm back in Starkville got home about 3 a.m. this morning drove the whole way from Albuquerque New Mexico I did not want to leave that's probably not surprising didn't want to go good news is I'll pick her up Wednesday evening at the airport as we head to uh, you know vacation excited about that hope that you guys get out and have a chance to spend some time with those you love here in the uh the coming days as we celebrate the end of this year and the beginning of next year today's show will be our our year in review and we'll come back Wednesday's show will be recorded tomorrow and that'll be our preview of the uh the bowl game and then there won't be a show on friday and i suspect there won't be one on monday so you're going to get two this week, and uh, we may come back next week and do, a, uh, do three next week. But uh, you'll be short a show this week as your good friend and host takes some much-needed and R, a a lot of windshield time here as of late. You know, I didn't plan to make that trip out to Albuquerque kind of last minute. I so said, you know what, i got to get out of here. i got to get away from Starbuck for a little while and just kind of reset a little bit, and I did. Had a great time with the wife. And uh, we celebrated uh, Christmas Eve by Netflix and chilling. Ordered some Chinese takeout from uh, Grubhub. That was our day. It was wonderful. One of the best days I've had in a long time. Didn't think about a lot of the stuff that's going on here as of late. And uh, just kind of enjoyed being a dude for a while. Sometimes you got to do that. Sometimes you just got to be a dude. I enjoyed just being a dude. Maybe you do too. So big show today, as we kind of look back over the year that was, some good, some bad, some tragic. Wasn't a great year. It wasn't a great year. We had some good moments, but it wasn't a great year. We had some things to be proud of, some things not so proud of, and some things that will probably mark us for forever. I'll be leaving uh, tomorrow after recording the show. I'll head down to Orlando and uh, we'll rendezvous with the family down there. I'll pick up uh, the bride Wednesday night. I'll uh, enjoy, you know, kind of a Wednesday afternoon and uh, with the kids, take them out to eat whatever, and then uh, you know we'll have our big family day, and then we'll go get on a boat and uh, have a good time. So I will not be at the ball game unless something changes. Yeah, you, know, you just never know with life. I, I have learned not to take anything for granted. But I'll be watching the bowl game and uh, thinking of all of you. If I was there, I'd probably be on the sidelines walking up and down carrying a Jolly Roger flag in honor of Mike Leach. Good numbers last week. Thanks for everybody's support of the show. Another good week, wrapping up a record month uh, with five days to go. So we'll have a couple more shows, and that's an amazing thing to me is we'll be short a show, but we'll still have a record month. So, again, thank you guys for your support. Appreciate all your contributions. I have many people. Uh, it's just so crazy. I'm driving back or driving to New Mexico and uh, two different states. I had people that this chance meetings that I ran into, Bulldog fans, uh, one in uh, South Haven, I guess, or Hernando, and then another person in the state of Oklahoma. I stopped at a Love's truck stop. And a Bulldog just happened to be a Bulldog fan there that was traveling to go see his family. Bumped into me and said, Hey, man, I'm listening to the show right now. as well, what are the chances of that? So, thank you. A stranger on the high plains. Appreciate uh, everything. All the great support. Many of you have reached out to as of late. I have a lot of messages here as of late. And uh, I promise you, it takes me a while to get to them sometimes. Because even when I'm on my phone, I'm there for entertainment you know because like if you send a message i feel obligated to respond and so sometimes i'm just not in a position to do that so i take my time with it but a lot of a lot of messages of encouragement here as of late and uh, i'll I tell you this and i've talked philosophically a lot here lately I, I i try i'm gonna try not to do a lot of that today on the show because you know we're not gonna pass around an offering plate and hum just as i am and have an offering call and things like that an altar call excuse me um but a lot of people have said, you know, Steve, I've wanted to learn more about this. And, you know, I like some of your philosophies on life. And uh, I'll tell you, you know, one of the things that I'm thinking about, I told my wife this last night. So I was driving back because I'm needy. Uh, 17 hours trying to kill some time, too. I think of things I'd call her. I think I'm ready to start working on the book. And uh, a lot of people have asked me, you know, Steve, what's next? I'm not quite ready to, to say. But, um, yeah, I just feel like maybe now's the time. Now, I will tell you this, it will not be a Leach biography. A lot of people, I've probably had a hundred or more people that have hit me up and say, Steve, you need to write a Leach book. I don't feel led to do that at this time, and I think uh, maybe next year. I've talked to a couple people uh, very close to Mike Leach. and he says, hey, will you help me with this when I decide to do it? I said, it's probably going to be next year, or maybe 2024. I think we all need a little time to heal. And many of you are like kind of caught in the moment, you know, and say, let's do it now. Well, I think it's best to give everybody a a chance to try to, you know, kind of put their feet in the ground a little bit and, uh, you know, kind of get their feet back under them as they kind of learn to deal with this loss. So the next book will not be a leech biography. I don't want to do anything until uh, we have a chance to talk to the family and kind of let them know what we're going to do. And I think, you know, we just had the memorial last Tuesday. And I don't want to be that guy either that uh, people say, hey, well, Steve's just trying to exploit the situation. That's just never the case. And so we'll give it some time. And uh, obviously that's something that I'd like to do, but you never know what life's going to look like next year. I got some other projects too that are in the works too. Some other things that uh, I think you're going to be excited about once I can talk about them. You know, some things in music and some things in books and some other things. So we'll share that with you when we can, but uh, because of that, I've got so many things out there right now that I've kind of got a, you know, I got a a spoon in a pot right now of a lot of different things. I want to commit to a lot of things and uh, put things out there before they're ready. So once they're ready, we'll let you know. And I got one project once I get back from uh, the Bahamas that we're going to go, we're going to get to work on that. And then I got a pretty big conference call in January another conference call in relation to a project we've talked about a little bit here. I remember I was out in New Mexico when I got the message about the previous conference call. And so again, I hate to be cryptic, but once I can talk about that stuff, we will. So thanks again for your support. I think 2023 is going to be a really big year for me and my family and for our business. There's a lot that's going on. There's a lot that I'm working on, both personally and professionally. And I, I believe 2023 is going to be a great year. 2022 hadn't been a great year, much like Mississippi State. It's like, ah, i had some high moments, but uh, you look back in its totality and you think, you know, it's kind of tough. It's kind of a tough year. And the thing that I've learned about that, and uh, I share this with my wife all the time, when uh, when you get out of balance a little bit, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you, you focus too much on career-minded things, you start feeling the drain elsewhere. And then when you focus too much on the personal side, not on, on the professional side, you kind of get the same feelings. You get these feelings of guilt that I should be doing more, right? And so uh, it's tough to maintain a balance. And I think one of the best lessons I've ever learned in life, I took a Franklin Covey planning class one time called What Matters Most, you know, kind of what focusing on what matters most. But you got to have goals both professionally and personally. You have to do them both. You can't lead an accidental life and then get out of balance. And so that's just my personal philosophy on that. So uh, we may do some things along those lines as we get a little bit closer. I hadn't done a recovery podcast in a long time. I need to get back to doing that. Uh, So that's one of the things I look to do too. I've had many people that have reached out. That's not a lucrative proposition for me. I do that to help other people. You may not know this, but, uh, Back on December 10th, I surpassed 31 years of sobriety. And year 31, one of the most difficult years of sobriety I've ever had. And you would think, hey, once you get three decades in, you're just going to cruise. The wolf is always at the door. Right? I mean, that's just how it is. There's always something. There's, and there's always something that comes up that tries to trip you up. And sometimes you, you, if you have a good spiritual foundation and a good uh, connection with your higher power, you can navigate through that. But of course, when you, when you get out of balance, sometimes you don't have that. And so I think it's important to always um, view life through spiritual principles. Kind of a personal uh, philosophy of mine. Uh, let's take some time now to thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show. I love Bulldog Burger Company. You will too if you don't already. It is a love affair that is very, very, very beneficial. A lot of places you go, you don't get as much for your money. That's just not the case at Bulldog Burger Company. They're, they're giving you the same generous portions as always, always. They haven't raised the price. A lot of people out there have raised their prices intact on a convenience fee or you know, an overcharge fee or a we don't like you fee or we're bad server fee. You know, there's always that. Not at Bulldog Burger Company. Nope. A lot of integrity and in pricing there. That's one of the things I love about those, those folks that run the Eat With Us group. One of the reasons they have lasted as long as they have in our area is integrity. They're people of integrity. They're going to give you more than you pay for. Those portions are absolutely fantastic. I never leave one of those restaurants hungry. I never leave there feeling like I didn't get a good value uh, for my dollar. A lot of people are competing for your dining dollar, but nobody does it better than Bulldog Burger Company. Go by and check them out today. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Get the spring rolls as your appetizer. You'll be glad you did. Get that great restaurant quality hamburger. If you want to eat a little light today, and I say light, okay, get that BLT salad. But the portion itself is very substantial. You may even want to bring some of it home. Serve it as a side with supper, right? I like it grilled. You may like it fried. And get that chocolate shake to go. I think that's a movement we can all get behind is dessert to go. I love that ship we spread pudding too. Be sure and check that out next time you're in town. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M E A T. All right, let's take a quick look back. Again, I tell you, it wasn't a great year. And it's easy when you're in the throes of it all. You say, well, you know, it wasn't so bad. You know, men's and women's basketball was not great. And, you know, we had to make two coaching changes. Let's start on the men's side of things. We all knew last year. Everybody that was objective about Mississippi State men's basketball, everybody knew that Ben Howland was coaching for his job. That was not a surprise to anybody. It may have upset some people. You know, there were a lot of people that were very much Ben Howland apologists. There were some other people, too, that, uh, you know, Ben could do no right with them. Again, I thought last year we had a chance to do some really good things. We just didn't capitalize on it. I mean, you start out the year on a four-game winning streak. And really, none of those games are truly competitive. It wasn't great competition. But you get off to a 4-0 start, and then we go to the Bahamas and get blasted by Louisville. We thought, here we go. We beat Richmond in overtime. You think, okay, we're all right. Beat Lamar. We lose to Minnesota uh, by five in Starkville. and We lost to Colorado State in the Basketball Hall of Fame Classic out in Fort Worth, Texas. We didn't think that was a bad loss. It was a loss nonetheless, though. And it was our third of the year. In our third and five games. And it was one of those things you start thinking, you know what? Maybe this isn't going to go the way we hope it does. We bounce back and we blow out Georgia State. We beat Furman by three. Still remember that game. We go down to, to Jackson and the Coliseum. We blow, blast Winthrop. And so we end uh, non-conference play with a decent record. But not a great record. We're nine and three. Two games behind what we were this year. And then we beat Arkansas. And granted, Arkansas was short, but we beat them 81-68. We start thinking, okay, we're okay. We have righted the ship here. You know, Tolu had been banged up a little bit last year. We would had some injuries early on, but we beat Arkansas. And, yes, they were short, but a win's a win. The very next game, and, again, this, was, this is kind of the hot, the, I guess the hallmark of the Ben Howland era, is just when we sucked everybody in, we would do something to disappoint them. And that happened to be a 10-point loss at Ole Miss, a bad Ole Miss team. We bounced back and beat Georgia, a you know, bad Georgia team. So we're 2-1 in the conference, and then we find a way to beat Alabama in Starkville, who was ranked 24th at the time. So now all of a sudden, you got a 3-1 start to the SEC schedule. We go to Gainesville. They're short, and we still lose by eight. Kind of redeem ourselves that weekend. We beat Ole Miss seventy-eight sixty. We go to Kentucky, force them into overtime, and again a terrible last possession. In that game we had two chances to win that game: one at the end of regulation, and then one uh, in overtime. And then we we blow it, and then end up having a foul. But uh, you know, Kentucky—that's a game we should have won. What you know, they were number twelve in the country at the time. That that would have been the biggest win of the era for Ben Howland. You lose that game and then you get absolutely manhandled in the Big Twelve SEC challenge by Texas Tech. And we're thirteenth at the time. And I tell you, they beat us 76 to 50. It felt worse because they beat us up. It wasn't just about the scoreboard. All of a sudden we realized we were not as good a basketball team as we had hoped to be. So again, another rough stretch there. You get off to the three and one start in the league, and then you lose three or four. And granted, Texas Tech's not in the league. But we, I think we realized then they were a tournament team, and we weren't. We come back and beat South Carolina. We go to Fayetteville. We lose that game by eight. And, again, that's a game, you know, we had our chances. Fell apart late. Again, The kind of the four-minute malaise under Howland. We lose to Tennessee. No surprise there, 72-63. We go to Baton Rouge and face a vulnerable LSU team. We lose by four, which runs the losing streak to three. We go to Tuscaloosa and lose by five. They were ranked opponent again. So four SEC losses in a row. And at this point, I think we all realized this wasn't going to work out. Back-to-back wins over Missouri kind of gets us back in the mix of things and gives us a decent chance to think, okay, we can string some things together. We're now 16-11 and 7-7 seven and seven in the league. And you just feel like, you know, if we can find a way to get a winning record in the league, we got a chance. We go on the road and lose to South Carolina by 10. Come back home, be Vanderbilt by five. We lose at Auburn, 81-68. That's an overtime game, too. We went and played pretty well. And give Ben Howland some credit. I mean, honestly, give Ben some credit. When we had these big ball games, we would go play well. We would go compete hard. But against teams like South Carolina, we just couldn't get it done. So then you you go on the road, and this Texas A&M team was not good. Not good. At all. Um... And we end up with a losing record. They beat us. They go 9-9. We go 17-14 and 14 in the regular season and 8-10 and 10 in the SEC. And at this point, everybody knew we're making a coaching change. And there were a few holdouts. You know, there were a few. We found a way to beat South Carolina out in Tampa. And then we, we get blasted by Tennessee, 72-59. We make the NIT. Everybody knew that wasn't enough. We'd already begun renovations on the Humphrey Coliseum, and people were critical of the administration for that. Uh, let me tell you this. It was absolutely the right decision. We owed Ben Howland nothing. People said, but Steve, those players earned the opportunity to host. Guys, we're not going to make any decisions based on a dadgum NIT game. You mean, honestly, think about that. We're going to delay renovations of the Humphrey Coliseum for an NIT game? Give me a break. Give me a break. Well, of course, we lose 70-57. to That ends the season and the Ben Howland era. Uh, I was glad that it was over. Kind of a merciful end. Ben Howen's final season at stayed 18 and 16, 8 and 10 in the league, not counting the uh, you know the the SEC tournament. But uh, not a good year. Barely finished the year with a winning record. And some inexplicable losses to go along with some hard fault, you know, the, the tough game at Arkansas, tough game at Auburn, tough game at Kentucky. And those were quality teams. There's no doubt about it. We had the potential. But for some reason, once we got in the four-minute mark, it didn't matter what the score was. We were in trouble. So we end the year, we make a coaching change, and uh, you know, a lot of people felt like, you know what, hey, well, Cohen will blow the hire. Well, he absolutely didn't. We hired Chris Jans, and you look at what we have today. I think we all feel pretty excited about it. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y dot Let me tell you a little bit about this new video of Smart Lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having the outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience, No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members and you can see who's kind of coming and going. Got that immigrated camera too. Uh, It's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools, no drilling required. You get keyless entry, you don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. Get fingerprint recognition, it's unlocking Ufi video lock that's e-u-f-y official.com forward slash video lock and it's time for you to gain control of your door again that's eufy e-u-f-y why are so many dogs suffering from health issues Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas, That's com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to Tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Let's take a quick look on the women's side of things. And, and listen, give Doug Novak a lot of credit. Give those ladies a lot of credit. There, there was not a lot to work with due to injuries last year. And we still put together a great, great, great memorable season. Didn't end the way we wanted it to. We ran out of juice. But a lot of moments we could be proud of. Of course, the season begins with the uh, sudden Resignation. Nikki mcrae penson wish her the best as she tries to recover her health. And again, Doug Novak put in an impossible situation and still managed to to put a winning record together. We open up with a 91-62 win over Alabama State. We beat South Dakota State. It's a good women's program, 76-71. That's in Starkville. We blast Alcorn State, beat Bethune-Cookman, go down to Dayton Beach Invitational. We win the first game against Dayton. We get shelled by Michigan 64-48, 64-48, but you felt like, you know what, hey, you know, all things considered, we're in pretty good shape here. Five and one, Michigan was undefeated at the time. We double up McNeese State. We lose to Oklahoma, 94-63. And, and I think at that point, there were, people weren't upset. I think it's just kind of like, after all the adversity we face this year, we're just kind of happy to be out there and compete. <laughs> we bounced back and we went on the road at UT Martin, 54-37. While we're playing at UT Martin, is beyond me. And then we lose to Troy at our play, 73-66. Bounce back and beat Jackson State, beat South Carolina State. You close out the non-conference and you begin to think, okay, at least we're going to compete. We were 9-3 at the end of non-conference play. And, of course, we open up with South Carolina and actually played it pretty well for a while. It pulled away late, 80-68 to a final. We beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa that Thursday to win by three. Then we beat Vanderbilt, and so all of a sudden you're 2-1. You have to travel to Ole Miss, and you know we have beaten them forever in a day. This was their Super Bowl, and they, they made it stand up. They win 86-71. We then lose to Georgia in Starkville. A game that I think most people felt we should have won. Go on the road, lose to, Fayette, to Arkansas by 20. Beat Mizzou 77-62. Double, uh, beat AM by 20. Uh, Go beat the fighting Johnny Harris's of Auburn, Alabama, 70-65 at their place. We lose at our place to Florida, 73-64. And probably the highlight of the season, we get Ole Miss and really dominated them in the second half of this game and win 70-59 to at least earn a split. And they really wanted that game. And our ladies and our crowd, did a phenomenal job. We go on the road and lose to Kentucky. And at this point, everybody's expecting us to make the tournament. Well, we close out the year. We don't win another game. The last win, of course, is against Ole Miss, and that is not an indictment on Doug Novak, the staff, or our, our players. We just simply ran out of juice. We just didn't have anything left. We lose to Kentucky, lose to LSU, lose at Missouri, lose at Tennessee, lose to Arkansas, get into the SEC tournament, and we get blasted by Kentucky. You know, again. So we end the year. Fifteen and 14, 6 and ten in the conference, and of course lose the last six. And uh, there were times we were playing with six players. I mean, just really kind of an unfair situation. And uh, a lot of people wanted Doug Novak to get the job. And, and I'll, I'll I'll share with you this, kind of like I said back then, it shouldn't have been Doug. Doug was uh, a coach on the men's side, from the D3 side, and it's not in any way an indictment on his work last year. We needed somebody familiar with the women's side of things that had recruiting relationships. was going to be able to put a staff together. And you go out and how, hire Sam Purcell, considered by many to be the top recruiter in the country. And If you look at the job that he's done recruiting and the time that he's been here, I think that reputation is well earned. But again, a debt of gratitude to Doug Novak and everybody involved in women's basketball last year for doing the best they could under some very difficult circumstances. While that team didn't achieve an awful lot, the fact that they had a winning record with half a team and a makeshift coaching staff says a lot about the fortitude and character of those people. All right, let's look at baseball. It's one of those things, too. You know, baseball was is such a source of pride for us. We're coming out looking to defend our national championship. It didn't go well. It didn't go well. And, again, it just seemed like we were snake bitten last year. Like every time we turned around, something negative was happening. We get off. We open up the year losing two of three in Stark for Long Beach State. And everybody's telling us Long Beach State is going to be absolute world beaters. They go from unranked to, like, ranked in the top 15. Kind of a prisoner of the moment type uh, response by your pollsters. You come back, you beat UAPB. And then you take two of three for Northern Kentucky. And the fact that we lost the game, of course, we lost the Landon-Sims game. We started the year 0-2, lose the Landon-Sims game on Friday to Northern Kentucky, and you bounce back and win the next two. But it's just an RPI killer. It is. You beat Grambling. You, you get shelled by Southern Miss and Pearl. That was a, a, an abysmal night out in Pearl. We go down to Tulane, and it's like our whole season changed. And listen, it wasn't going great already. But that two-lane weekend is one that will live in infamy. We had the big bounce back on Friday, and we destroy these guys 19-2, and you think, okay, we're, we're, we're going to right the ship now. Well, in the middle of all this, you lose Landon Sims. Then you lose Stone Simmons. You know, Stone Simmons is healthy and pitches that ninth inning on that Saturday game. You win the series, but instead they come back to win 11-10 in 10 innings, and they beat us on Sunday 5-4. So we lose the series down there, but more importantly – we lost our Friday night starter and one of our best relievers all in one weekend. We bounced back and split with Texas Tech down in Biloxi. Texas Tech probably didn't want to play us in baseball. We always seem to have a little bit of success against them. We get Princeton the next weekend. We sweep those guys. But again, I think everybody realized we're going to have to string this thing together. I mean, this pitching staff thing is going to be very, very dicey. And it was. Your Casey Hunt's a guy that got hurt early in the year and missed some time. We were, I mean, we we're already having a, we, we didn't have a lot of pitching depth, and then we lose some of the more productive guys we have before we even get into SEC play. You bounce Binghamton, thirteen to five. We go to Athens, Georgia. My first time covering baseball at Athens, and we got absolutely destroyed. Game one, eleven to nothing. Parker Stinnett just didn't have it this weekend either. Uh, Georgia. <laughs> They come back and beat us at Saturday game, 12-11. to I remember walking out of the dugout and heard a few F-bombs dropped. I felt the same way. Just didn't say it. We bounced back on Sunday, and we salvaged the game 20-3. to And listen, make no mistake, this is a good Georgia team. Wasn't a great Georgia team. It's a good Georgia team. But a series we should have taken. We should have won that Saturday game. That's when we realized our bullpen was in trouble. Midweek game, you beat Southern, and we uh, get Alabama seven to six in ten innings on Friday. That's the uh, the big RJ Yeager walk off to win that game. Saturday we win eight seven, and then we lose six two on Sunday. So you take the series, and all of a sudden you're three and three in the league, and you think, okay, we've already got a road trip behind us, and this is an improving Alabama team. Maybe we're okay. You beat Memphis in the midweek, and we go to Arkansas, and we look terrible Friday and Saturday. We gutted it out on Sunday, and you get a win in extra innings. Uh, Luke Hancock with a big base knock late uh, to give us a lead there. I remember the players saying, let's just get on the bus and get out of here. The fact that we could get a win after back-to-back sweeps up there, we, Arkansas has had our number here as of late. So the fact that we got one up there meant a lot to us. But we're Mississippi State. We should never, ever dread taking a road trip anywhere in this league. UT Martin, we get those guys in seven innings, and then we get LSU up here. LSU sweeps us, and at this point, we realize that we're chasing the season. Wasn't a great LSU team either. You beat UAB in 10. You win the series against Auburn two out of three. We should have swept that thing. Had we swept it, it would have given us a little more breathing room, but we we get two out of three from Auburn. And this is an Auburn team, too, was kind of bowing through injuries. We get Jackson State... And then we take two of three in Oxford against Ole Miss. And at this point, I think we all figured, okay, we've got it figured out now. We just got to hold serve and win the games we're supposed to win. We lose the governor's game on Tuesday for the first time in forever, five to two ball game. And that was the game Brad Cumbus, I think, hit three shots to the wall and just couldn't quite poke them out of there. But, you know, the big series win meant everything. Cumbus had a big weekend against Ole Miss. But, again, at this point you felt like, okay, we got a shot here probably going to be a road regional team but we're 24 and 18 at that point a game ahead of old miss and probably feeling pretty good about life with the sec standings We had that missouri series coming up and for the second consecutive year missouri absolutely tanks our sec standings we win that first game 13 to 4 and then at saturday it's like we absolutely could not get anybody out it was like 50 mile an hour winds blowing out the right they get us 19 to 8 no matter who we threw out there. We just couldn't get anybody out. Hunter Hines had an absolute shot that day. Missouri, we blow it. Casey Hunt has a chance to close that thing out. I think it was Josh Day, hit the big home run. So they take the series, and at that point, we felt like, you know what, this thing is done. It's done. It's just a matter of us playing out the string. We get swept by Florida the next weekend. We go to Sanford, one of the most miserable nights of my college baseball writing career give up two grand slams in the game and lose eight to six to Samford. And it was a Samford team, but it lost many of its best players in the year before. We go down to Texas A&M, we get swept. The games are competitive for the most part. We run out of pitching on Sunday, but again, we're done. North Alabama, we get those guys 14 to four, and then we get absolutely roasted by Tennessee, give up 27 runs in that Thursday game the school record, bounce back, lose 4-3 to on Friday, should have won the game, and then lose 10-5. to We don't make it to Hoover. We don't make the NCAA tournament. And there was misery around this program. And there still is. Until we get back on the field and get back into the NCAA tournament, those feelings are going to linger. Not to say that anybody was on the hot seat, nor should they have been, but it was an abysmal season, and I can promise you nobody feels that more than Coach Chris Simonis does. We've talked about it extensively. Chris is a competitor. Chris is a winner. That stuff does not sit well with your baseball coach. All right, flipping over to softball real quick. You know, had a historic, uh, you know, run this year. Arguably the greatest season in the history of, of, of Bulldog softball. Thanks to Coach Ricketts and, and Josh and Tyler. I did a great job. We finished the year 37-27, and 10-14 in the conference, the best conference in the country. But you open up, you know, kind of an auspicious start there. We start one and three at the Mark Campbell Invitational, and people are thinking, okay, well, this is what's going to happen. Nah, we bounce back, take two from Alabama State. The Bulldog kickoff classic, we take, uh, we split that. I guess, no, we lose two out of five. Excuse me, we lost three of five. We go two and three in our own tournament. Georgia Tech got us uh, once. Central Arkansas got us. Southern Illinois got us. We go to the Snowman Tournament. That's the uh, the Alex Wilcox Memorial Tournament here in Starkville. We take uh, three, four, or five games. Are thinking, okay, maybe, maybe maybe we're turning this thing around. You know, we got conference play coming up, but um, you know the next uh, little stretch here, we take uh, four or five with the Bulldog Invitational with Furman, Alcorn State, Jacksonville State. You get North Alabama, and so you finish up non-conference play. Good enough shape, I guess. Good enough shape, not great, pretty good shape. 15 and eight, I guess. Northern Alabama was our last non conference game. They were 18 and five. We beat them. But 15 and eight, heading into SEC play. You go to Florida, one of the top teams in the country, and you get one. And you're thrilled to get that one because everybody expects us to get swept. The season turned around the next weekend. We sweep Ole Miss in three, and they're you know, they very much a softball school. We take those three. The last one, of course, a 6 nothing shelling on Sunday. We take down Memphis, and then we get Sanford in the midweek and uh, Middle Tennessee State. We, uh, we offer Alex weekend. We go to Tennessee. We take one on the road and could have gotten – Swept, I guess, but we, we kind of got got hot against Tennessee there on the Saturday game. You lose to Southern Miss and you bounce back and take two of three from Missouri. Alabama, a, a machine. We had a chance to get two games though. We lose two one and seven six, end up being swept in that series. You get UO Monroe, you get UT Martin again. We win one of three against Auburn. Probably felt like we should have gotten the series. We don't. Take down Southern Miss. We go to Kentucky. We win one out there. Then we get LSU. We get one against them, and we and so you round up the regular season. RPI was good, and Mississippi State is now thirty-two and twenty-three, and ten and fourteen in the conference. And you feel like okay, that's enough to get us in the tournament. We beat LSU again in the SEC tournament. So you end up, you know, winning, you know, splitting with LSU. We lose to Tennessee 1-0 in 13 innings, if you, you may recall. That was a game, too. Had you won that one, you might have even had an even bigger situation. So we head down to the Florida State Regional, and we dropped the first game of South Florida, and everybody said, well, this is usually how it goes for us. You know, we make the tournament, but we can't, we can't make any noise. So we lose to the Bulls. We bounce back to beat Howard. Then we beat South Florida 6-0. And then we beat host Florida State. We had to beat them twice. We beat them 5-0. And then at that point, people were thinking, okay, well, we've got a chance here. And so all of a sudden, everybody's turning on the SEC network and everybody's watching the game. And State wins the regional 4-3. You celebrate down in Tallahassee. You're going to host a super regional because of upsets around the country. We host Arizona. This became the Brittany Thackeray series. And we lose the Friday game 3-2 to in extra innings. We had our chances, absolutely had our chances. You know, State with a 2-1 lead after six innings of play. They tie it in the seventh to force the extra frame, and then they they win. And then the final game of the series was a 7-1 loss, and so Arizona then advances to the Women's College World Series, and we don't. But we're two wins away. But again, arguably the greatest season in the history of Bulldog softball. So again, you look back in hindsight, and maybe maybe softball is the biggest positive of those sports, of that, of the spring semester, softball gave us the most to cheer about. So thank you to Coach Ricketts and everybody involved with Bulldog Softball. All right, time for today's top 10 list. As always, brought to you by that's close with Blair.com C L O S E with Blair, B L A I R. Dot com. Be sure and check him out. Here's the deal, guys. Many of you have thought about earning a home, and perhaps uh, financing has been a real challenge for you. Yeah, maybe the issue is not necessarily you. Maybe it's you didn't have the right advocate working with underwriting. Maybe you didn't have an experienced loan officer that knew how to structure your loan to get you approved. That may be the case. So go with a professional like Blair Chandler. 21 years of experience in the industry, top 1% close ratio in the country, back-to-back years. And here's the deal, too. If Blair can't get you taken care of, he can put you on a plan to make you credit-worthy next time. known the guy a long time. We've had some Boneyard listeners that have messaged me with their testimonials and said, Hey, Steve, listen, I didn't know much about Blair. Gave him a chance. We've been turned down elsewhere. He got us approved. So maybe it's time that you give Blair a chance to work for you. Give him a call or text today at 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. And listen, he works for Fairway Mortgage. You can do your own research. They're a reputable lender. They're not some subprime loan origination place He's here today and gone tomorrow. I'd encourage you to follow Blair on Instagram, too. He has some helpful mortgage tips there. A lot of people don't even think about a mortgage until you have to get one, and you don't know who to call. It's a very daunting task. So stick with a winner like Blair Chandler. And if you mentioned to Blair, you heard about him on the boneyard. He's going to pay for your appraisal. It's about a $500 value. Close with Blair.com. All right, since this is the year in review show, and I'm a rock guy, I'm going to give you the top 10 rock songs of 2022. Now These can going to be modern rock songs. Okay, I could throw Skid Row in here because Skid Row's new album is amazing. Gwen Drake's new album, amazing. Love the new Lillian Axe album. I think Golden Dragon is probably my favorite song on that album. A lot of great stuff came out this year. But I wanted to go with the new rock, too. We're going to give you guys my top 10 modern rock songs released in 2022. You may disagree, and that's okay. That's okay. You get your own show. You have your own list. But these are my top 10. Number 10, I love this band. I saw them at Rocklahoma. Uh, thanks to my buddy Mark here a couple years ago. It's Asking Alexandria. The song is never going to learn. I love Asking Alexandria. This new EP they put out is phenomenal. To quote Ben Howland, if you liked at any point, liked Asking Alexandra, you'll love the new one. A little more teeth in it, a little more grit. I love it a lot. Number nine, the former singer of the great band Bad Wolves, I like Tommy. Tommy is an advocate for recoveries and recovery himself. He's lived a very tragic life. Now he works to uh to help others. He was basically run out of bad wolves because of his politics, because he was a little more conservative than the rest of the band, and he took his uh, philosophical and political beliefs on social media there was a lot of backlash against the band and that's why he fired him so tommy went solo called himself the lone wolf the number nine song on your countdown today is the war you wanted from tommy vex the lone wolf number eight a band that i absolutely love i've gotten into them into them the last few years i think a new album they've kind of stacked three good albums in a row and a lot of people are really digging the new stuff. I encourage you to check them out. It's a band called Memphis May Fire. And we're going to go with Make Believe. A lot of people have that in their top 10 this, this this end of the year. It's one of the top 10 songs in rock this year. Number seven, and I know Sirius XM Octane had this number one. It's a little bit um, maybe not true to the rock. I like these guys a lot, but I couldn't have them Ahead of some of the bands that are ranked ahead of them on my list, just because I think that they're they're a bit new metal at times, but it's falling in reverse. And the song is "Voices in My Head." My favorite song from them is "Popular Monster." I, I love it. I love the energy in it, without a doubt. But falling in reverse out there, uh, of, I may get to see them in February when I go back out to new Mexico. I'm not sure yet. I hadn't told the wife yet that I'm planning that. But um, "Voices in My Head" a great song. Number six, one of my favorite bands. Uh, I don't like the Planet Zero album as much as some other people do. And I'm a shinedown guy, right? I think Planet Zero has some high marks on it, but it has some other songs, too, that kind of come off as filler. I thought Attention, Attention was probably the best album they've done since The Sound of Madness. I think this is a little bit of a step back. But the highlight of the album for me is not the title track. It is a beautiful song written by Eric Bass to his wife, and he was going through some uh, mental health stuff. He's a guy that battles manic depression. And so he wrote this beautiful song, an amazing tribute to his wife. It's called Daylight. You always make sure I get to see the daylight. It's like when I'm going through all the difficult times in life and, and there's this you know, the great line in the song, it says, it's amazing what the hard times can reveal. Who shows up, who checks out, and who's for real. I think that's how it goes. But um, yeah, that is true. You find out who really cares for you when you need something. Everybody's there for you until you need something. That's how life works. I I talk about this regularly. You know, I I don't sponsor people anymore, but I am sometimes kind of an assistant sponsor to people. And I've shared this on the show recently. I hope your good friends are good people. There are a lot of people that are your good friends that are just kind of co-conspirators in your own demise, Right, they just kind of go along with what like they're so so friend poor. They'll go along with whatever just to keep you to be their friend. And there are some people that just need miseryless company, right? So they want you to be they want you to be like them. And they're trying to find some joy in their own miserable life, so they encourage you to make bad decisions. I, I dealt with that too. I, were, you'd be amazed, man. When I went to rehab, you know how many of my friends called me when I was in rehab? Zero. Zero. And then a bunch of people after that said I was a narc because I went to rehab. I'd been arrested and they were all worried about getting in trouble. I had one friend tell me, oh, you're not an alcoholic and a drug addict. You drink like and use like we do. They're not friends. We throw that label around. It's like everybody wants to be besties and BFF and that kind of stuff. You better be friends with people that have character. If not, they're going to pull you down. I don't care what kind of person you are. You say, well, I'm strong. No, you, man, you're a product of the company you keep. All right, number five, another band. Love these guys. They are uh, based out of San Antonio, but have some connections to uh, Baton Rouge and New Orleans. Great band called Nothing More. Love those guys a lot. We've been on top ten list for them. It takes them forever to produce new material, which drives me crazy. It's like it's three and four years between albums. But it's a great track called Tired of Winning. Now, I'll never be tired of winning, Johnny, never. But Nothing More's Tired of Winning, number five on the list. Number four, a band that I love, and if if you get a chance... They had an acoustic EP they released uh, last year. It's well worth your time. Uh, vocalist, amazing. It's a band called Bad Omens. They're a great band. and um, I love this new stuff they've done, and I think that they they have matured to the point now that they're ready to take the next step as a band. They used to just kind of be that band. It was like the opening act, and they had long hair, and they had a good guitar player and a good singer. The songwriting's kind of caught up to their talent now. It's a song called Just Pretend. Number four, Bad Omens, Just Pretend. Number three, one of my favorite bands of this new generation, my wife and I were talking about this recently. I said, man, I I think I've seen just about everybody I want to see. I said, who are some bands we haven't seen you want to see? She goes, I want to see Bring Me the Horizon. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes. That is an absolute win. We got to go see those guys. They put out some amazing music during the quarantine. And their newest one is a song called Strangers. Great. Ali is great. The music is great. It's got that hard industrial punch to it. My wife, like, I'm more of a traditionalist. Like, let's plug it in play, right? My wife likes kind of this overproduced stuff. She likes the big, heavier sound. Uh, But Bring Me the Horizon, Strangers, number three. Number two, I don't know if anybody had a bigger 2022 than Jelly Roll. And I've had so many of you that have hit me up and said, Steve, you need to do a Jelly Roll top ten. I'm just not quite ready to do it. We may. But the guy went out with Shine Down is kind of a virtual unknown. Like some people kind of knew one or two of his songs. They go out with Shine Down, and Shine Down was selling out arenas all over the country, not clubs, not convention halls, but major arenas. And Jelly Roll went out with him and he emerged from that tour as a headliner himself done some things with Shooter Jennings. Everybody loves this guy, and he's got some elements of country, got some elements of rap, got some elements of rock. It's kind of a hodgepodge of musical symphony here. But we went with the great track Dead Man Walking, number two, on your list. Son of a center is great, too, but I went with Dead Man Walking because that's the one I think really kind of kicked it off for him. I think that's what got him on a Shinedown tour is that track. But number one for me, and I listened to this song, uh, Right after I bought my new car, I was out in uh, South Carolina, bought my new car. I listened to this several times on my way back from South Carolina. And it's a song called Riptide from Beartooth. I love Beartooth. I've seen them at Rocklahoma too. Thanks, Mark. Uh Beartooth is amazing. They're also a band, too, that uh leads singers now in recovery, so it makes me want to support them even more, support his and efforts. But Riptide is kind of what that's about. And it's not just about addiction, but it's about the troubles of life. It's like there's always something out there trying to pull you under. you know. And you go back and think about the past. And, and that's one thing that I'll tell you. Like I have heard somebody say this one time in a speaker meeting. They said there's nothing more expensive than a life of regret. And we're all going to have some of that. I talked to that recently about my wife. You know, it's like We have all these things, and I wish we'd have done. I wish we'd have done this. Or I wish we hadn't done this. Or I wish we'd have committed more time to this. And it's like it's good to discuss that but you can't live in that moment you got to live in the now you got to have an eye on the future a back on the past but you got to focus on the now and that's kind of what riptides about it's like you know i'm not going to let you know the the pain of my past kind of slow me down and listen i've been sober 31 years man and uh i'm still dealing with those character defects that led me astray in the first place and so it is a process I have all these people sometimes will see you stomach you've got it all together. I can assure you that I don't. There are some days that I feel really good. There are other days that I'm just kind of just trying to make it through the day. But Riptide is one of those songs that kind of empowers me. When I put that song on, I feel really good about life. Uh, sometimes I kind of grip my teeth to it, you know, because I, I, I love that breakdown, when it gets all heavy. But that's my number one rock song of 2022. Riptide from the Great Band Bear Tooth. Those guys are a little bit different, too. You go back and listen to them. Like The In-Between is amazing. That's, that's the song that kind of hooked me in to, to Beartooth was The In-Between. Love that song. in Between's is the, the title of the track. But um, And the song, Hated, I love that one, too. You know, who knew you'd be hated for being who you are? Yeah, that's the story of my life. But I'm going to keep being me. And uh, those that love me will love me. And those that don't, well, that's, you know, that's their problem. But uh, I'd be interested to know if I missed anybody. You, I'm soliciting some feedback here as you guys listen to this list or listen to this show, if I miss somebody, hit me up. Because you know, my, my wife is like an Octane listener all the time. Like that's that's all she does. Like when she's in her car, unless she's talking to me, uh, she's listening to Octane. A lot of times I just I'll download albums and I'll I enjoy the ride of an album. And then plus, as far as I travel, sometimes octane repeats like two and three times in the day. So I don't like to hear all that repetitive stuff. But uh, if I miss the great rock band or something new that you love, hit me up. I'm always happy to uh, learn about a new band. I wish I had a new favorite band. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, when you first hear this great band and you want to like just envelop everything they have, it's like all you you hear one great album and you're like, oh my gosh, you get the next one. Then your next thing you know, you're buying merch and you're getting tickets to a show. And you get so excited and all of a sudden they become like a soundtrack of your life. I, I'm, I'm looking for that band. I am. I'm looking for that band. I've got some that have been great, but I need somebody from this new generation to kind of captivate me and capture my interest. So maybe you have somebody. The architects are cool. A lot of people will mention them. The architects are good. Uh, they're very different. Again, that's kind of that industrialized sound. But uh, I think we are on the verge of something new, In rock music, I think things have kind of gotten watered down in many respects. There's not a lot of true headliners. I mean, Shondown, of course, is one. Corn is one. Uh, There are a few bands out there that are still packing out arenas, but a lot of the bands in the modern rock scene are playing clubs because they can't command a big ticket somewhere. And so we're ripe for something fresh. Maybe you know about that band before I do. So hit me up, let me know. Hit up Roy at Dogmatic67 on Twitter. Uh, With your ideas for the top 10 list, we'll be happy to do them. may take us a while, but we'll get to it eventually. And you can find our great list on Spotify also at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. All right. Next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. You know Campus Bookmart well. If you don't, it's your own fault. They are a Starkvilleian institution, been in business here for years. Go check them out. Next time you're in town, go see their smiling faces. If you can't make it to town... Let me encourage you to visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. Use promo code BSR, which gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bucks, absolutely incomplete. Chances are you didn't get everything on your list. Maybe you didn't get that Mike Leach pullover that's so popular. Everybody was looking for that. Maybe your significant other couldn't find it. Take care of it yourself. Treat yourself to something new. Buy that in time to go to the ball game. Be sure and visit them today. You'll be glad you did. Campus bookmark the most extensive selection of Mississippi State merchandise in the known universe. All right, we continue our year in review here. You know, we went into the winter sports season, the fall sports season, with a chance to do something that we've never done before. Uh, we do make some history on the soccer side of things. We end the year with a 12-6 and 4 record, 4-4 and 2 in the conference, despite battling through some energy, some in- energy, some energy <clears throat> injuries. My goodness, pretty good start. We're undefeated for a long time. We take care of uh, Sanford in exhibition, Southeastern in exhibition. Outscored them by a combined six nothing. We go to Miami, Florida. And we get a a nil-nil tie there. We beat Florida International while we're down there, take care of Lipscomb, beat Minnesota, tie South Alabama, beat Louisiana Tech, beat Southern Miss, beat Presbyterian 4-0. We go into SEC play undefeated. Pretty excited about our team. And a lot of people thought we'd take a step back this year. But we're 6-0-2 at the end of non-conference play. We beat Arkansas 2-0, a very good Arkansas team. We beat Texas A&M in College Station 1-0. Beat LSU 3-2. We tie Missouri in Columbia. We finally lose our first game in Starkville to South Carolina 1-0. Lose again that Sunday on the road at Auburn 1-0. But again, we feel like we're a competitive team. We win the Magnolia Cup by beating Ole Miss 1-0 in Oxford. We go to Alabama. We get shelled there 4-1. Then lose at Vandy 2-1. We tie Georgia. And so we end the regular season in pretty good condition here. We're headed to the beach again, as they say. But the Bulldogs are 10-4. and And then, of course, 4-4-2 in conference. But you start thinking 10-4-4. But you're thinking, okay, we got a chance to get in the postseason. We beat A&M in overtime 2-1. That clinched a spot in the NCAA tournament for us. We lose to Alabama 2-0 in a very hard-fought game. But no shame in the loss. There, we make the tournament, and for the first time in school history, we beat New Mexico State to win our first ever NCAA tournament game in the history of Bulldog soccer. And we play Memphis in um, Fayetteville, a neutral side game. We get beat four nothing there. The the train ends there. You know, it'd been incredible if we could have won that game. Memphis, of course, upset. It was two seed St. Louis uh, to advance. But a big year for us big year and uh, you begin to think about you know what's next uh, for women's soccer at state maybe this is a, for, a sport that's kind of flown under the radar and this is a sport too that I think benefits from us like fully funding all scholarship sports there's a lot of these head counter sports uh, and then there's partial scholarship sports and that's kind of how well we are with a lot of this but um, you know I think if you fully fund it you give teams like Mississippi State a chance to take a step forward but again a lot of people thought this is going to be a rebuilding year for us turns out that it wasn't Did a really good job uh with transfers that's important aspect of it too we 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 forget about the uh you know the portal when it comes to other sports okay volleyball Julie Doherty's team had a historic year last year we were hoped to building on that this year uh, it turns out we don't make the NCAA tournament. We had a chance to be in the postseason in soccer, volleyball, and football for the first time in school history. Volleyball again gets off to a tremendous start. We finished the year 15 and 13, 8 and 10 in the conference. But we take care of Louisiana in an exhibition, beat Milwaukee, beat Notre Dame in South Bend, Indiana, take care of Lipscomb, beat Oklahoma, beat Ball State, beat Kennesaw State, and finally lose a match to Houston. September the ninth, three to three, three sets to two, we bounce back, take care of South Alabama, we lose to Bowling Green and Ann Arbor, and then lose to Michigan, so that closes out the non-conference portion of the schedule. But again, we felt pretty good here. We're seven and three overall. Michigan was eight and one, so there's no loss that you know seven and three non-conference, not bad. And then we beat Georgia, lose to Auburn, beat Arkansas, and then lose to Arkansas. We beat A&M back-to-back matches, and we lose back-to-back to Florida. We lose South Carolina, lose to Ole Miss, and that's when we really got, kind of got behind the eight ball there. We split with LSU. We take down Alabama, lose to number 19, Kentucky, and then go on the road and lose Tennessee, back-to-back matches there on Saturday and Sunday. And then we close out the regular season uh, sweeping Missouri, but we don't make the postseason. So, a good season, but any season that doesn't end in the postseason, regardless of sport, cannot be considered a great season. But a winning year, 15 and 13, and 8 and 10 in the conference. But again, you know, losing to Ole Miss was kind of a harbinger of things to come. But uh, you know, a good year on the volleyball side of things. And while we're looking at some of these uh, you know, smaller sports, let's throw out a, uh, a shout out to the, uh, the men's golf team, right? Uh, men's golf team doing their part, try to take care of things for us. Uh, you know, that th- Maybe didn't go the way we wanted to, had a lot of weather issues, but uh, match play, kind of an adventure for us. Uh, got there and played competitively a lot this year. But uh, we make the SEC tournament and then um, advance to the New Haven Regional, and then that's where the ride ends for us. But, uh, again, postseason – Good year for those gentlemen out there on the the men's tennis side of things. Again, it's just one of these things you look at and you begin, kind of begin to wonder, you know, uh, what's the direction of things. But um, you know, we have had some really good, uh, you know, really good men's teams in the past. You know, won uh, the SEC tournament back to back years. But uh, for this season, ends up fourteen and thirteen, and then four and eight in the conference not a great year for us you need that one ace player don't know that we necessarily had that this year but you do find a way we do we do get some individuals into the singles championship so we did have some postseason play but not what we had hoped for uh, on the women's side of things looking at, uh, at tennis here as we kind of move forward 12 and 15 on the year 2 and 11 in the conference that you know that's that's not going to get it done I think we all, we all know that. And everybody associated with women's tennis knows the same thing. And so the women's golf team, some pretty cool stuff coming up, I guess we still have some matches left to play there. But, um, you know, when I look at all this stuff, I begin to think, you know, there's so much to keep up with. There's so much to feel good about or so, There's so much to, to root for. There's so much for us to be proud of, to be Bulldogs. But, uh, this is where I think NIL is important, where you can make a difference. If you have you know, a relative or maybe a neighbor's kid on your team, you could submit a donation to the Bulldog Initiative and earmark it for that sport. Not everything has to go to the, you know, the quote, big three, basketball, baseball, and football. Uh, you can contribute money directly to soccer, volleyball, men's, women's golf, whatever you want to do, uh, and ensure that that money goes towards uh, those programs. And I would encourage you to do that. I think it's important to kind of understand that there are a lot of those athletes out there that could use a helping hand. And yeah, I'm a firm believer, too. The one good thing about name, image, and likeness is you can get somebody to do an advertisement for you. You know, you get something out of the deal, and you can set that up with Charlie. Say, hey, here's what you want to do. Or you can just make a donation. But you can get your business affiliated with a Mississippi State student athlete or an old Miss athlete or a Southern Miss athlete or whoever you'd like to kind of further your interest. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by our friends at Portico. I love Portico. I've told you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville now, I'd move to Portico. There'd be no question about it. I love that place, and I think you will too. Next time you're in town, go see it for yourself. Turn off 82 on a 12 light like go into campus. very first right is Pat Station Road. Take the right there. Go through the four-way stop. Portico is right there on your right. Give yourself a self-guided tour. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home and get anything in between. Great group of builders involved with this project. They're happy to give you a custom build if you require it. You can have some say in the layout of your house. You can pick your lot. If you want a ready-made house, they got those too. Phase one's completely sold out. Phase two under construction. Many of those homes are sold, but there are some available. A lot of people are thinking, Steve, maybe it's not a good time to build. Well, you know what? These folks can take care of that. Wouldn't it be great to get the home exactly the way you want it? A lot of times when you go buy a house, you're kind of making the best of it. Why not get the best made for you by the fine folks at Portico? Make Portico your next move. All right, let's take a quick look back at football. That's what you tuned in for anyway, right? It's a tough year, man. It is in, in some respects, but you, know, you look at the beginning of the year, I think we all said, and we have belabored this point, if we can go 8 and 4 get the golden egg back, and finish up in a Florida bowl game, we've done well. That's exactly what we did. We have done well. Have we done as best we could? Probably not. I said st- the Kentucky loss still runs me the wrong way, and the fact that we had the lead after three quarters on the road in Baton Rouge and couldn't close out the deal, that's just a burr in the saddle, isn't it? And even though LSU won the West, you know, you look back and think, you know what, that's a game that we let get away from us. But, um, Let's take a look at the season in its totality. We destroy Memphis. You remember how wild that was, that game? You know, we had the the weather delay. We ended up playing late into the evening. We win the game 49-23. It was never really in doubt. But you win that game, and you feel like it was a bit of a revenge game after the way things went down last year. We go to Arizona, win that game 39-17. I remember taking a picture with some fans before the game that thought I was Rob Zombie. He goes, hey, you're Rob, right? And I said, I'm Steve Robertson. Well, let me get your picture anyway. So we did, and I, I can only begin to imagine that they, they sobered up and realized they had a picture with a guy that wasn't Rob Zombie. But we went the game, 39-17, and it never. Outside of that first drive for Arizona, they did absolutely nothing. Zach Arnett's defense a tremendous job out there, and uh, we win the game, 39-17. But it felt worse, and it probably should have been worse. And then, of course, we lose that ball game at LSU, 31-16. And, again, it sounds so crazy. We had the lead after three quarters and ended up losing by two scores. And that crowd was absolutely dead, absolutely dead. And we give them – we gift them the ball after that muff punt. The complexion of that game completely changed, completely changed. We bounce back, and we have a very crucial stretch here. We needed to win all three of these games at home. We do. We blow out Bowling Green 45-14, blow out Texas A&M 42-24, blow out Arkansas 40-17. So uh, three consecutive games with 40 points or more scored offensively, and you begin to think, okay, we are trending in the right direction. We already have five wins under our belt. We're 5-1, and feeling good about life. We beat A&M back-to-back years. We finally avenged that uh, terrible two losses to Sam Pittman's Arkansas squad this game for not competitive and yes i know kj jefferson didn't play i'm well aware of that nobody ever makes excuses for other teams that beat us when we have injured players so we're not going to care about that it goes down in the record books as a win and then we go to kentucky and this ball game too it's just one of those things i look at in hindsight and i begin to ask myself you know why why did this happen you know it's a 3-3 ball game at the break and even though we were frustrated it felt like you know what we were forcing them into some crucial mistakes. Felt pretty good about life. They go down, kick a field goal to go up 6-3. We immediately answer with a touchdown drive and make it 10-6. And you're thinking, we're going to be okay, going to be okay. We've got to get a stop. Well, we don't. They march right down the field and score. We have that huge kickoff return from Tulu that's nullified by a holding penalty. They kind of put us in a bad spot. So we, we're down three at the end of – three quarters, and you feel like, okay, we're just we're just one drive away from making this a, a game. We can't get off the field. They go down and score, make it 20-10. to 10. And at that point, we kind of knew what was going to happen. And it seemed like the game was all but over. And the next thing you know, Emmanuel Forbes steps in front of a pass and returns it for a touchdown. With eight minutes and 33 seconds to go, we're down three. We just got to get a stop. And we can't. They run it right down the field, go back up 27-17. And from there, the game was over. We never really could do anything with it. But this was more about our own ineptitude, and we let Kentucky kind of set the tone. And it seems like every time we go up there, we end up playing their game. And their game forces us to, I think, press a little bit. I think we feel like, hey, we got to maximize every drive because we're not going to get very many. And this wasn't a good Kentucky team. It's a very average and mediocre team. And I think that's one thing you look at with this group is we should have won the game. We get shelled by Alabama. We finally score on last play of the game to kind of get that monkey off our back, but it never felt like we were in the game. We, we kind of competed for a while, but eventually once they got some separation, we couldn't get it done. Auburn, of course, fires Brian Harson. Cadillac Williams comes in here. We beat them in overtime, 39-33. Woody Mark for the big touchdown late. I don't think we realized at the time what a big win that was because Cadillac had those guys played hard. Georgia gets us 45-19, but it was very much a ball game at the half. That's Xavier and Thomas' shiny moment as a bulldog. The big punt return right before the half that makes it a 12-10 to ball game, excuse me, 17-12 ball game. And we think, you know what, if we can just get a stop here, maybe we got a chance. Ultimately, defense wore down. We lose 45-19. Bounce back to beat East Tennessee State. Makes this, uh, you know, 56-7 win there. Gives us seven wins. And you're thinking, okay, if we can just find a way to win the egg, that gives us eight wins, but also gives us the same record as Ole Miss. And there were many people in the media that are very friendly to Ole Miss that had this narrative all year long. They were leaving us behind. I think we all knew that Ole Miss was fool's gold. In many respects, it felt like 2010 MSU, where you kind of get the benefit of playing kind of a cupcake schedule. And you get into the SEC play, and then there that's the great you know, equalizer But State goes up there, doesn't play well on offense, play extremely well on defense. Defense keeps us in the game, and ultimately a defensive play wins the game with Randy Charlton. I got it transferred in here from Central Florida. Staying home, making a big play, batting down that two-point attempt. If he doesn't, there's a good chance Jonathan Mingo scores, and the game goes into overtime, and I don't know if we win in overtime. Didn't matter. We won the ball game. But again, I give Will Rogers a lot of credit. That big touchdown pass to Tulu Griffin right before the half really got us back in the ball game because it really felt like we were. Just, if we could ever get out of our own way, we were going to win the game. And of course, the big fumble from Will Rogers right there at the goal line allowed Ole Miss to stay. And you know, they put together a 95-yard drive uh, to kind of set up the drama late. But uh, we win the ball game, 24-22. End up, um, you know, tied with those guys in the SEC standings. But of course. Uh, since we won head to head, we get the better bowl destination. We'll head to Illinois. Excuse me. We'll head to Tampa to play Illinois, and that game's coming up on Monday. That's Monday, January second. If you haven't looked at that, but uh, yeah, and of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about you know, kind of Mike Leach. We've talked a lot about that, but uh, that is one of those things you look at, and, and it's a historic type moment in many respects, not just for Mississippi State. But for college football and you begin to think to yourself you know where do we go from here well i think we're going to have some changes on the offensive side of the football i think you'll see some coaching changes there probably some michael Leach disciples won't be retained and that'll be left up to the new offensive coordinator i posted an update on what i've heard about the oc search on jeanspage.com this morning if you're a subscriber go by and check it out if you're not now it's probably a good time to subscribe you can get the inside information directly from our experts over at jeanspage.com on the true maroon board. But I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in Zach Garnett. Like many of you, I think we've made the right hire here. I think he'll do a great job for us. I think that he is a very hard-nosed, blue-collar coach that kind of matches our ideals and our value system. I think he will do exactly what we need him to do. And I think that's a big part of things for every one of us is we need a coach that matches our ideals I think you had that in Mike Leach, even though he was very eccentric. This is a guy that was big on accountability. Guy was really big on old-school type mentality. He didn't coddle guys. He pushed them to be better. I think Zach Garnett is cut from the same cloth. And Zach Garnett's not going to be for everybody. He's not. Zach Garnett will hold you accountable. I have seen it in practice before. Players that you know and love that didn't have their homework done or didn't get an assignment taken place, they had a, a mental error, he gets on them. He coaches him. He's a throwback coach. Even though he's a younger guy, he's not from this new generation uh, of coaches. He wants to coddle players. So in many respects, he's going to be an acquired taste. But if guys want to be coached, Zach Arnett's going to take care of him. Let's take a quick look at uh, our bowl schedule. We talked about this last week, kind of you know what what is to come. And again, uh, the Wednesday show, which will be recorded tomorrow, will be the uh, uh, the last show of the year. So let me take a little time here. We'll pick some games here. Uh, Kansas and Arkansas. That's going to be a twelve twenty eight game. So that's going to be Wednesday evening. It's a four thirty kick. I like Arkansas in the game. I know a lot of people are picking Kansas because Arkansas is is down some players. I think this is Arkansas team wants to run the football. I think that's what everybody sees. Everybody understands what, what needs to happen. I think this is a game that will be won in the trenches. And I think that's where uh, Sam Pittman probably benefits the most from this. K.J. Jefferson is is back. I think everybody, um, everybody sees that he's the guy that probably needs to carry the football some, but I think with the injuries he's had this year, maybe you're a little more selective. And this Liberty Bowl will be awfully interesting, uh, to say the least. But I'm a KJ Jefferson fan, and uh, I know that he will do what he needs to do. There is no next week. He's got the rest of the offseason to recover. He's going to go out there and do whatever he feels like he needs to do to win this ball game. So I think the SEC finally gets a bowl win. The SEC currently 0-2. I told you guys, uh, I thought Wake would get Mizzou. They did the game. There really wasn't a lot of uh, you know, drama in the ballgame. Wake Forest wins 27-17. I think Arkansas wins the game. I think that's a big part of things. Arkansas will play their brand of football. And I just don't think Kansas has the athletes to go with them. Kansas is 6-6. Six and six. Remember, they were, that was a big story early in the year. They started out 5-0, and oh and everybody's like, here they go. They win one more game the rest of the year. And many of those games were not competitive. Now granted, they're playing TCU and Oklahoma and Baylor and Texas Tech and Texas and Kansas State. They pulled an upset over Oklahoma State that ultimately got them both eligible. But I think this is a team that's very fortunate to be bowl eligible. I think Arkansas had a disappointing year, but Arkansas is better than their record indicates. So I like them to win the game. Texas Tech and Ole Miss, I would love Texas Tech to win this game. I just don't think that the Red Raiders at 7-5 and five have the horses on defense. Now, the good thing is they have played well down the stretch. The Red Raiders have won their last three. They beat Kansas. They went on the road against Matt Campbell at Iowa State, and then they beat Oklahoma 51-48. Huge win for them. But it's been a very much an up-and-down up season. And you look at their losses, You know, outside of that loss to Baylor, and when they played Baylor, Baylor was still playing pretty well. All of their losses, four of their five losses are to ranked opponents. So it's not like they have that inexplicable loss. Of course, Baylor absolutely shelled them at their place 45-17, but this is a Texas Tech team that I think will come out and be ready to play. I just don't think when they have to stand up to that Ole Miss running game, I just don't think they can do it. So we're going to take Ole Miss to win, which will make the SEC's bowl record 2-2. Two and two. Our Gator Bowl will be on the 30th. Uh, Notre Dame and South Carolina. I would love South Carolina to win this game. And this is the matchup that the administration wanted. They wanted Notre Dame. They wanted a chance at a helmet sticker win. I just don't think that South Carolina is going to have the horses. I would love for them to win this game. I think it'd be great for Shane Beamer. I just don't think they can. Now, the good news is, is both of these teams are currently ranked ahead of Mississippi State. So if State wins and State's ranked 22nd, State's got a chance. That's one more spot closer to the top 20, right? You win and then one of those teams loses, that clears up some traffic in front of you, and then you just got to leapfrog one team. And again, there'll be some other teams that are ranked ahead of us that'll lose, but I think it gives State a chance for a top 20 finish. So either way, no matter who wins this game, somebody ahead of State is going to drive behind them. I like Notre Dame to win the game, which would make the SEC two and three. All right, Tennessee and Clemson in the Orange Bowl. I think this is the most intriguing matchup of the nine, what access six bowl games? I think of the tradition of the playoff games because this is this is in the uh, New Year six. I think Tennessee will make a game of this, and I I'll be honest with you, this is the one that's been so hard for me to pick because I don't know which Tennessee team's going to show up, and I think the fact that they're playing a backup quarterback probably plays into the hands of Clemson. And I know that there's some opt-outs and things like that. But we're going to go with Clemson to win the Orange Bowl. But I think this is going to be a very entertaining game. And I think outside of the playoffs, this may be the most exciting game of the bowl season. Number six versus number seven in Miami. It's incredible. Okay, Alabama and Kansas State. Now, the good thing for Alabama is that Bryce Young and Will Anderson are going to play. There was a lot of discussion that they wouldn't. I think that Alabama... If Alabama shows up, Alabama wins this game. I think Kansas State wants to line up and run the football, and against that Alabama front, that's going to be tough to do. So we're going to pick Alabama to win here. I don't know that Kansas State has played many quarterbacks like Bryce Young, and I know they played some really good ones in the Big 12, but Bryce Young, we know from experience, is a guy that can extend plays. When you think you've got him, he'll elude the rush, and it's so difficult to defend those Alabama wideouts, even though this isn't a great Alabama wide receiving core, it's difficult when things break down. They're so athletic they can work back to the quarterback, and Bryce Young uh, can find them. He's got the arm to make you pay. So we're going to pick Alabama to win here. Iowa versus Kentucky, and you got to feel like the, you got to feel like the people associated with this bowl game kind of feels like they're getting cheated a little bit, right? Wouldn't you agree? I think we all would agree with that. You know, some Music City Bowl up in in Nashville, Will Levis nor Chris Rodriguez are going to play. So Kentucky's going to have to depend on, uh, you know, some backups here. And Iowa is kind of built like Kentucky. I think Iowa can play Kentucky's game and probably play it as well as Kentucky. Even with Kentucky being full strength, I think Iowa would be a team that would, would give Kentucky some trouble. But because of the losses of Kentucky, you know, Will Levis, and, and I, I, you know my feelings about Will Levis. I, I think he's completely overrated, and he may prove me wrong in the NFL. I just don't think this is a guy that's going to live up to the hype. So we're going to take Iowa to win the game, and I think it's probably a game that Iowa wins by a couple scores. Ohio State and Georgia. I love this matchup. Not just because of the fact it's traditional. This is New Year's Eve games. Not because it's a traditional powerhouse. I think it's kind of a contradiction in styles in many respects. And yes, I know Ohio State spreads it out. They want the athletic quarterback. But that Georgia run game, when that thing is going well behind that big offensive line, you're not going to beat them. Georgia, the defending NFL champions, recruiting at a ridiculously high level, and they have a real identity. You know, there's some teams, we always talk about. Well, you know, the best coaches kind of build an offense around their players. You know, Georgia, they go get the players that fit what they want to do. What they want to do is be a blue-collar team and beat you up at the line of scrimmage and make you feel like that maybe football's not for you. I'm picking Georgia to beat Ohio State here and advance to the NFL championship game. All right, Mississippi State and Illinois, that is an 11 a.m. kick. That'll be a lot of fun. It's January 2nd. We'll be ready for some football by then for sure. We'll have seen a lot of great football. We'll be ready to see our Bulldogs play. And I'll tell you this, outside of the Illinois fans and then a pocket of Ole Miss fans out there, everybody in the country is rooting for Mississippi State. For whatever that's worth, may not mean anything at all. But the Bulldogs will be America's team on January 2nd as everybody tries to uh, push State to a victory to close out the Mike Leach era on a positive note. That leaves us with one final SEC bowl game. That's LSU and Purdue. You know, I know a lot of people are so fired up by Purdue, but, you know, they've had a coaching change, and uh, I know they've got some good personnel there. I just don't see them having the juice to take down LSU. And, of course, uh, you know, Purdue with a big commitment, uh, you know, with uh, former Texas quarterback Hudson Card committing to Purdue, big news. Uh, for those guys. But um, the bottom line is this, is that at the end of the day, LSU has SEC speed and Purdue doesn't. And so I like LSU to win the game. And so let's run it back here. Of course, SEC now 0-2 in the league, uh, in bowl season. I like Arkansas to win. Uh, I like Ole Miss to win. I like Notre Dame to win. I like Clemson to win. I like Alabama to win. I like Iowa to win. I like Georgia to win. I like Mississippi State to win and LSU to win. And if that happens, the SEC will end up with a winning record in the bowl game. The SEC would end up 6-5 and five in the bowl game with, of course, the playoffs left to play out. You know, because you never know Georgia could win another one. But I said when the, when the the matchups came out, I thought we were going to have a difficult bowl season as a league and I still believe that, and I think a lot of these opt-outs and transfers, and that's I think it really negatively impacted Missouri in the game, it negatively impacted Florida in the game, and that's something I think we have to get a handle on. And I know, like we we've pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed, and pushed to get these transfer windows in, but you know I don't know if there shouldn't be some type of incentive for people to play in the bowl game. And you should say, well, Steve, they shouldn't require that. Well, I mean, you know. <laughs> the value system of today's young people is different than it was when I was a young person. You know, when I was a young person, the chance to play for Mississippi state was such a huge honor. I I wouldn't have needed any further compensation, but that seems to be the case. And like all these bowl games and all these people are putting all this money together. And there are a lot of people these days, like and you can read it in social media commentary? They say, I don't blame these kids for opting out. These bowls are meaningless. And I guess I'm old school. I don't think any game is meaningless. I know we bill them as such. You know, we play East Tennessee State the week before the Egg Bowl, and you think, oh, that's a meaningless game. Well, try losing that game and see how meaningless it is. So, well, you'd hate to see them get an injury, and, and you know, that's that's a risk of life. But I, I think what, I think there is a, there should be a sense of obligation. You know, if these people have paid for your education, they've provided you a platform to, to showcase your skills and give you a chance to reach – the professional level, I think that's a big part of things. I think you owe it to the institution to go play. And, and listen, I get both sides of this thing. You know, there, there's been one major injury that impacted a guy's uh, draft stock for playing in a bowl game. But by and large, these guys play in a bowl game and they escape unscathed. I think that's important. to understand. And Mississippi State has benefited too uh, from some of these opt-outs. You know, when you look at the... Uh, you know, the, the state of the situation at Illinois, you know, they lose their best offensive player. I don't think there's any question that that's, a, that's an issue. They lose their best offensive player, a guy that uh, was, what, 60 yards away from setting the school record, Chase Brown, ran for 1,643 yards this year. Could have easily gone over seven. I say easily. I mean, Zach Garnett's defense, uh, per, pretty salty against the run most games. But a guy had a chance to set a school record and likes to opt out. And uh, he is projected as a mid-round draft pick, somewhere between the third and fifth round. But that's a guy that led to Power Five in rushing that Mississippi State's not going to face. His twin brother, Sidney Brown, first-team Big Ten guy, tied for the national lead in interceptions with six, also has opted out. And then All-American and Jim Thorpe finalist Devin Witherspoon has opted out. And then there was some talk. Quan Martin, another safety, may opt out. He hadn't done it yet. You got to figure if he gets on the plane, he's going to play. I can't imagine him traveling with a team now and then opting out. But those losses are significant. If you had to replace two guys with postseason accolades in your secondary against a pass-happy scheme like us, it doesn't play well. In addition to that, You're a team much like Kentucky that wants to dictate the tone and tempo of the game, and then Chase Brown, you know, the key cog in that offensive component is no longer there. It's a guy that always seems to fall forward. And so now you're going to have to depend on reserve running backs. It's not the same. If they were as good as him, they'd be played. Now, I think he also is a product of the system. You know, Brett Belema's is a guy that uh, <clears throat> wants to line up in these odd formations and play three tight ends and create mismatches with your safeties and put the linebackers in conflict. And they do a lot of eye candy to basically get numbers in the box. And then just when you, you know, commit that extra safety to the box, next thing you know, you got a tight end kind of running free out there. Now, granted, they don't have anybody quite like Hunter Henry, like he did at Arkansas. It's going to be a unique offense. It's going to be something we haven't seen a lot of. We've had plenty of time to prepare, but we've also had plenty of time to put in wrinkles. And now they're doing it without their top offensive player. And, you know, Illinois, of course, was expected to be a team that was expected to beat Mississippi State. But I think the game could be a pick by the time kickoff gets here. I mean, it, it, now the, uh, the spread in, by most oddsmakers uh, has flipped it opened, I guess, at one and a half. And uh, now many odds makers have State now as a two-point favorite in the game. Uh, so that'll be awfully interesting. And let's run through these odds real quick here, just looking at SEC play. And I think a lot of the, I think most of the favorites will probably match my picks here. Uh, Arkansas now is uh, listed as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. You know, it, it, it opened, you know, and uh, – you know, It's just crazy how life works here. But, you know, Arkansas now, some books had it at minus three for the Razorbacks. Uh, Ole Miss, a a three-and-a-half-point favorite against Texas Tech. I don't think the game will be that close. I really don't. I think Ole Miss will will take care of Texas Tech. I just don't think they're going to have enough beef up front to really compete there. Um, Notre Dame, now a a two-and-a-half-point favorite against South Carolina. I don't think that game is going to be that close either. I think Notre Dame will win that game probably by two scores. Clemson is favored by five and a half over Tennessee. I could see that that spread probably pour money in on both sides because I think it's probably a game that goes down to the last possession. I just think in the end, you know, Clemson is athletic enough to compete. Iowa now a two and a half point favorite over Kentucky. I think that'll be a low scoring game because both teams want to run the football and control the clock. Alabama six and a half point favorite over Kansas State. I don't think that game will be close unless Alabama comes out there and just lays an egg. And, and that, that could happen. We've seen that happen. You remember Brian Johnson in Utah absolutely destroyed Alabama uh, in the Sugar Bowl one year because Alabama was still frowning and pouting because they didn't make uh, the BCS game. Uh, Georgia now a 6.5-point favorite to Ohio State. I think it'll be an entertaining game. I do like Georgia to cover. LSU a 14.5-point favorite against Purdue. That game could get ugly, and I think the line reflects that. But when you run through these things, you begin to kind of realize that um, there are a lot of teams out here that are going to be playing somewhat shorthanded and also kind of figuring things out. How do we play without these players? And so there will be some communication issues. There will be some missed assignments. There will be some busts. That's where I think Mississippi State has an advantage over Illinois it's because when you're replacing two starters in your secondary in a short amount of time, there's a lot of communication that goes along with that, especially when you run as many switch routes as we do you better make sure you know what you're doing, and when you don't have the benefit of having a full complement of practices over the course of a season, you got to throw all this thing together in a week, and then all of a sudden, you know, Mike Leach was the, uh, you know, the guy that called formations and things like that. You have no clue what Steve is going to do, absolutely none. And on, uh, in addition to that, you know, Ryan Walters, a former Illinois DC, is now a coach at Purdue, and so you don't have this familiarity with the scheme and you don't know the play calling the way it's gone in the past i mean there's just no telling what they're going to do they may run a lot more base defense that secondary at illinois is absolutely legit but when you remove two big time players from that group they get averaged pretty quick and i think the thing that makes the mike leach air raid offense so difficult to defense is Michael Leach is betting that his fourth and fifth best receiving option is better than your fourth and fifth best uh, d- defensive back? And now all of a sudden, everybody's moved up two spots. So now it's not just your fourth and fifth best defensive back. It's your sixth and seventh best defensive backs. They're going to have to go out there and make plays. And the reason they're sixth and seventh is they're not good. as the guys that are ahead of them. And so I think that works well for State. Yes, you lose rai but, you know, Rai-Rai disappeared in some big games too. So the reality of it is I think State should win this ball game. I think if State goes out there and plays within themselves and Will Rogers plays within himself, because it all, it's all predicated on Will. It absolutely is. And, and I hate to put all that on his shoulders, but you saw, you saw in the Egg Bowl when Will didn't play well, the game was close. You go look at those AM games and Arkansas games, when Will plays well, the games are not close. I think this game is going to be similar to those games in the middle of the season. I think Will Rogers uh, will go out there. If we can get through that first quarter without making the, the major mistake, I just don't think Illinois is going to be able to match up with State. I, I just don't think they're going to be able to. I, I know how good this defense is. I know how good this defense has played this year. And granted, I don't think they've played anybody quite like us, and we will preview uh, the ball game in its entirety on our next show. We'll kind of talk about some of the numbers and kind of get inside some things and look at their schedule. And I think that's one of the things that you begin to think about with this is how does a team match up against the Air Raid when they don't have a chance to play the Air Raid? And I don't care how, how good you are or what you've done. Things change in the postseason, but Illinois currently leads the nation in scoring defense, allowing 12.25 points per game. That's pretty crazy to think about. And number two is Georgia. Number one, Georgia is allowing 12.77. So they've only allowed 147 points this year. So this is a very stingy defense, but I think it's one of those things too. You can get them maybe thinking a little bit about what they're missing. Illinois second in the nation in total defense, allowing just 263 yards per game. It's pretty crazy to think about that. So this is a legit defense, but when you lose your defensive coordinator and then you lose two of your top players in the back half of the defense, things change. But I think they'll have our attention. I think the Mike Leach situation provides some added motivation. But we just don't need to go out there and try to score 50 points on the first drive. Let's go out there and try to put some points on the board because I believe like if if we go up 14 nothing in this ballgame, if we get like a two-score separation, I think Illinois is going to panic a little bit because what you want to do is get them out of what they're comfortable doing. And, and that's the thing, too. You get a little separation in the game, and all of a sudden, maybe you get into the break with a 10-point lead or a 14-point lead, and they come out in the second half. You get a stop, and all of a sudden, they've got to stop being so deliberate with the running game you got a chance to pull away from them. I just don't think Illinois is going to be able to win a shootout with Mississippi State, and I do believe Mississippi State is going to score. And this is a legit defense. We're going to have to go out there and bring our best effort. Uh, But I think with all of the offseason issues and and what's happened since the end of the regular season, I think State will be a motivated team. I think Illinois will be a team that uh, is playing somewhat limited personnel-wise on both sides of the football. And, again, we'll come back tomorrow morning – and we'll go ahead and do your Wednesday show. We'll preview Illinois. We'll break it down extensively and kind of let you know what we do. We'll do our opponent preview. Don't know if we'll go to full 90 minutes, uh, but we'll go through that tomorrow. And uh, I'll publish that. And um, we'll probably you know, write the article on Gene's page on Wednesday. But it should be available on your phones and on your, uh, your podcast apps uh, tomorrow as I'm traveling to, uh, to Florida. But uh, listen, I love you all very much, and uh, I appreciate all of your contributions to my life. And uh, this is, again, this is a chance for us to go out here and do some really big things as we prepare uh, to wrap up the Mike Leach era. And I think that Mike Leach, the pirate ship, uh, the national intrigue of this game, I think, favors Mississippi State. And I think Mississippi State uh, going into this game, you know, basically with uh, the full complement of the roster with one. With a couple of exceptions uh you know dylan johnson obviously won't play and he's still deciding what he's going to do and then in addition without rah-rah i mean that, that you know back shoulder throw that's kind of his bread and butter so we'll see how state will attack this group but i suspect that you're going to see guys like tulu griffin uh have a big game and uh, i look forward to kind of looking at that uh, on tomorrow so again you'll get this show and then i will record in the morning uh, before i leave for florida and then um That'll be it for this year. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.